0: Kathy, my wife, has always enjoyed the fact that I have really terrible vision when I don't have my glasses on because that's always meant that when we wake up in the morning, the shafts of sunlight fall upon her face. I see no flaws, no blemishes, no wrinkles. I see everything As beauty in a fuzzy sort of way. Now, if she appreciated that as a 26 year old bride, you can imagine how she appreciates that now that she is about to become a mother of the bride. Y'all are a tough crowd. It's supposed to be funny. My wife loves me, she's not offended, rest assured. But here's what Kathy's always enjoyed most, that my bad eyes filter the truth, so that the truth I cannot see will not offend me. And that's the way of the world in 2016, isn't it? Four words shut down almost every conversation that we have these days, and those four words are, that offends me, that really offends me. And so... We think, oh, 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 I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to offend you. Because in our culture, that seems to be the cardinal sin, to ever give offense to anyone. And so, because people are so easily offended, because everybody's truth is colliding with everybody else's truth, like bumper cars at an amusement park, then we filter everything we say. We filter out the truth so that the words that come out of our mouth are bland, vanilla, innocuous words that would never bring offense to anyone. Having said that, I'm giving you a warning right now. I'm going to rate the passage before us this morning, and and here is the warning. In this chapter, God is telling the truth without filtering his words first, and so these words are neither bland nor vanilla or innocuous. God speaks them without first consulting his handlers, without first consulting the spin doctors, without first consulting the polls to see if his words will offend or cause him to be damaged in popularity among the people. This passage is God unfiltered. Okay, you've been warned. But here's the good news. God loves us enough to tell us the truth unfiltered so that we live our lives by his truth and so that we are bold to tell others that same truth. So, if you have your Bibles open to Deuteronomy chapter 28, I'm going to ask you to stand when you found your place, there are Pew Bibles in front of you if you don't have one. Deuteronomy chapter 28. We're going to be, begin reading in verse 15. This is the word of the Lord. Moses, speaking to the people on the plains of Moab, says, However, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I am giving you today, all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. You will be cursed in the city and cursed in the country. Your basket and your kneading trough will be cursed. The fruit of your womb will be cursed and the crops of your land and the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. You will be cursed when you come in and cursed when you go out. The Lord will send on you curses, confusion and rebuke and everything you put your hand to until you are destroyed and come to sudden ruin because of the evil you have done in forsaking him. The Lord will plague you with diseases until he has utterly destroyed you from the land you are entering to possess. Now, let's skip down to verse 50 I have lost my place. I'm going to find it. 58 If you do not carefully follow all the words of this law which are written in this book and do not revere the glo- this glorious and awesome name the Lord your God the Lord will send fearful plagues on you and your descendants harsh and prolonged disasters and severe and lingering illnesses. He will bring upon you all the diseases of Egypt that you dreaded, and they will cling to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. All of this word is your word, and it's all truth. And Lord, you intend it for a good purpose in our lives, and you intend it to bring glory to your name and transformation to us. And so we believe that's going to happen as we come to this passage this morning. So bless us. Uh, Again, with understanding that comes through your spirit. When your spirit joins your word, Lord, there is understanding and there is transformation and that's what we seek this morning. So uh, work that mightily among us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, be seated. Well, you heard the passage, you may be thinking, wow, this was not the week to bring a friend to church. (laughs) Or you look around and say, oh, I wish there weren't visitors here, or, or I'm glad so many people are away at the, at the Clemson or Georgia game this weekend. But let me tell you, if you think those things, you would be wrong if you're thinking them based on the passage and not something else in the service, because this passage is, in fact, a beautiful expression of God's love for his people. It's a demonstration that God knows us, he knows our frame, he knows how we are wired, He knows our weaknesses, so God condescends to those weaknesses so that we might understand truth and live by truth and therefore have life. So what are the weaknesses that God knows about us that he addresses in these verses? Well, God knows that when things are going our way, we easily forget him. We easily believe we don't need him. He knows that when we're given the opportunity, we will go our own way and do our own thing. He knows that we are often thankless people. He knows that we love to grab glory for ourselves. He knows that we often delude ourselves into believing that there actually is such a thing as a self-made man or a self-made woman. And when I say I and we, I'm referring to God's people. Because it's God's people who are addressed here in these verses. People who are in a covenant relationship with God. People that God has chosen for himself. People to whom God has repeatedly demonstrated his tremendous power and his love and his compassion and his mercy. They have experienced it all. And yet thankless independence and pride continue to plague them. And us, I think it's safe to say that only when we, God's people, are desperate, when we're out of answers, when we don't know which way to turn or what to do, those are the moments that you most likely find us in God's Word and on our knees. When life is going well, maybe not so much. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this, from his Nazi prison cell, from which he was never released, physically speaking. He was released when they executed him, and he went to be with the Lord. But from that prison, Bonhoeffer wrote this, When all is said and done, it is true that it needs trouble to drive us to prayer, though every time I feel it is something to be ashamed of takes trouble to drive us to the Lord. If you were honest, how true would that be in your life? Are you not the most humble, most, hum, most prayerful, most attentive to the word of the Lord when things are not going well and when you don't know what to do? See, blessing doesn't seem to affect our lives in the same way hardship and suffering can Blessing doesn't get our attention in the same way. Somehow, blessing just causes us to fall into this comfortable entitlement, as if we deserve what God gives us. So God knows this weakness. Listen to what he inspires Moses to write in Deuteronomy chapter 6. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, a land With large, flourishing cities you did not build. Houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide. Wells you did not dig. And vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord. Amazing. These verses only... Describe blessing. A large land, given to the people. Flourishing cities they didn't build, given to the people. Turnkey houses, given to the people. All of it, you read it. All of uh, vineyards, wells, all of it, God gives to them as a gift. So how could it be possible that these people could ever forget the Lord? It seems rather that God would have had to instruct them this way. Enough already, really. Enough already. Enough already. You've thanked me enough. Now, don't just thank me, but use these good gifts that I've given you to go out and build my kingdom. How can it be possible that God must instruct people that He has so abundantly blessed not to forget Him? Because God knows our hearts. He knows how we're made. He knows we take blessings for granted as if we are entitled to them. And so we read again, this time in Deuteronomy chapter 8, God says, When you've eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the land He has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe His commands, His laws and decrees I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down and when you prosper, then your heart will become proud. And you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness. He brought you water out of the rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember, the Lord your God For it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. So the same thing all over again. Why do a people whom God has blessed so abundantly and undeservedly need to be warned? Because blessing is not enough. A positive message of hope is not enough for these people. And I don't believe that we are any different. Because if you and I were different from these people gathered on the plains of Moab, then advertising in our time would look different than it does. For instance, a positive message, put only nutritious food in your body and you will feel better and live longer. Now, that is basically the truth. But that statement doesn't get very much traction. People don't pay attention to the potential benefit of of eating healthy food, so different kind of messages are sent out. And here is one of the most memorable messages for me. It is a commercial from about 30 years ago, so most of you weren't even alive. But the commercial is a man, and he's standing in a kitchen. And he says something like this. All right, so, so is there anyone who still doesn't get it? All right, let's, let's go over it one more time. And he holds up an egg in his hand, and he says, This is your brain. And then he points down to a cast iron skillet full of grease sizzling on a stove. And he said, this is drugs. He takes the egg and he cracks it and he puts it in the pan where it starts to sizzle and bubble immediately. And then he says, this is your brain on drugs. Anybody remember that commercial? Graphic, great commercial. It takes a negative message to get our attention. And remind us to only put good things in our bodies. Even more graphic are are, are the current commercials. I'm sure you've seen them. uh, Of people who have cancer. Who are smokers. Former smokers. and, And they look terrible. And they put the vibrator to their throat to speak. Or they show you the hole where they have to breathe. Because they smoked and they got cancer. And so their warning is do not smoke. But the message is the same. Put healthy things in your body and reap the benefits. Put unhealthy things in your body and reap the consequences. One gets our attention, the other doesn't. We can say, drive safely all day long, blah, 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 drive safely. But when they put a, a smashed and mangled car in the median of the highway with the sign that says, don't drink and drive or don't text and drive, then we get the message. And all of these images are disturbing to us, those commercials are, are disturbing. And sometimes they make us a little angry that they would invade our, our thoughts. And we, and we attempt to push them out of our minds after we see them. But then we ask ourselves, what is the motivation behind these graphic images? And we have to in- conclude that the organizations or, or the people who are sponsoring these ads, they want the best for us. And so they tell us the truth. If you do drugs, you may fry your brain If you smoke, you may get cancer. If you drink and drive or text and drive, you may die in an accident. These are the consequences that they don't want anyone to experience, and so they tell the truth in a graphic way because it seems that our brains are now and have always been wired that way. So we come to Deuteronomy 28 that we've just read, and we see what a blessing it is. Deuteronomy 28 is not 100% positive. And 0% negative. Because you know what? That wouldn't get the attention of God's people. It isn't 75% positive and 25% negative. God doesn't even make it 50-50. It isn't 60% negative and 40% positive. It isn't even 75% negative and 25% positive. 78%. I did the math on my calculator. 75% of this chapter is a negative message. 54 out of 68 verses contain a curse or a bad news message. Now, this is the kind of chapter that God's critics have a heyday with. Why would you want to worship a God like that? A spiteful God, a vengeful God, a God who curses. What's wrong with you? But we say, here's a God who loves us. A God who gets our attention the best way he can. So that we will experience a full life and an abundant life. And so it is with Deuteronomy chapter 28. I didn't read all the verses. But I read enough of them for us to get this unfiltered truth. God knows his people. He knows that we will take blessings as our entitlement. And forget about the obedience that is required to receive those blessings. And so God takes the filter off. And he graphically speaks the truth so that his people will get the message. They must fulfill their part of the covenant. They must live in obedience to him. They must revere the glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, as he commands in verse 58. And so the unfiltered truth in this chapter is that the effects of not obeying the Lord, not revering the Lord, are pervasive and inescapable. They're pervasive and inescapable. You can't flee from the city to the country to escape. You can't flee from the city to the country or the country to the city to escape. Look in verse 16. You'll be cursed in the city and cursed in the country. You can't flee. From the havoc of the business world or a failed business to the safe haven of your home. Neither can you flee the, the bad, awful relationships of your home and hide yourself in the business world. You can't flee. Look in verses 17 and 18. Your basket and your kneading trough will be cursed. The fruit of your room, womb will be cursed, and the crops of your field will be cursed. Verse 19 sums it up You'll be cursed when you come in and cursed when you go out. There's no sphere of life in which you can escape. Public life, private life, suffering in your physical body, suffering in your home, suffering in your marriage, suffering in your wallet, economic collapse, suffering as a nation, your your army will be defeated. It's all included in these verses. We cannot escape God. And so David asks in Psalm 139, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. David, of course, writes this psalm and sees this as a great blessing. God will never abandon him. When he needs God's presence most, he'll have it. There's no place David can be that's out of God's reach, and there's no darkness in David's life that's too dark for the light of God to penetrate. But the reality of the omnipresence of God ceases to be a blessing when we seek to escape from him. To get away from his hand on us. To get away from the claims that he makes on our lives. To get away from living for him and living by the truth of his word. We like to escape. And Americans can escape like never before in history. And we hold escape in our hands, don't we? Don't look at the time. (laughs) We hold escape here in our hands, right? Because we take this out and we can escape to a book. And we can live somebody else's story. We can escape to a movie or TV show and, and live someone else's life. Or we can escape to music and sing someone else's song. And that's what we do. But there is no escape from the reality of God. This is only a distraction in our lives. And denying his existence does not cause him not to exist. And so God graciously tells us the unfiltered truth. He is inescapable, He is omnipresent, and He is all pervasive. And so these people gathered on the plains of Moab, ready to enter the promised land, they have to make peace with that reality. When they're making life choices, they've got to remember that there is no escape from the consequences, from the curse. Of living in disobedience to God, they can run, but they cannot hide. God does not want His people to be fooled. God does not want His people to believe, well, they can just opt out. Oh, you know, I'm good. I'm all chill. I did the God thing for a while. You know, I live for God. But but now I want to try something different. I want to live in a different world. Where are you going to go? Where are you going to go? There is no world. There is no universe where God does not exist. You can't escape him. Or the consequences of living life in rebellion against him. And so the people gathered on the plains of Moab, listening to these verses. No, they are not idle threats spoken by a powerless professor hiding behind a curtain and pretending to be the great and powerful Oz that he is not. Because in addition to being omnipresent, God is also omnipotent. He is all-powerful. And these people know that God has the ability to bring about all these curses. They saw it in Egypt. We read of it. They saw the plagues, the frogs, the gnats, the flies. They saw the boils that broke out on men and animals. They saw the hail beat them down. They saw the locusts swarm and devour every green thing in the land of Egypt. They saw it all with their eyes. And so now the curses that were upon Egypt will come upon these people if they do not keep covenant with God. Please know this. These curses do not make God picky or petty or petulant. This is not God saying, what? You're bringing me that sacrifice? No, you didn't see that blemish right there on the other side cursed be you. It's not God saying, oh, wait, wait, you said the wrong words to me when you brought your sacrifice. Cursed be you. That's not what this is about. Look in verse 20. The Lord will send on you curses, confusion and rebuke and everything you put your hand to, until you are destroyed and come to sudden ruin because of the evil you have done in forsaking him. And this is what it's all about right here in these verses. This is the great sin, not making some little misstep. Their sin is in forsaking God, which means leaving him, letting go of him, abandoning him, denying him. This is the great sin that will bring upon these curses. And here's the thing. None of these curses ever have to come to pass. Not one single one of them. They will only come by the choice of these people if they choose to forsake and abandon the God who has loved them so deeply and so well. But that's not what God wants for his people. And so he speaks truth to them. He speaks truth to us in this unfiltered way. He wants blessing and life for them and that's what he wants for us as well so you know what Galatians 3 is what will you turn there to Galatians chapter 3 in the New Testament Galatians chapter 3 beginning in verse 10 For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. And here's the good news. Christ redeemed us. From the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. How beautiful! How beautiful. Did we all not already say that God knows our weaknesses? He knows that we must keep the law. He knows that we cannot keep the law. He knows that we are therefore under a curse. And so what does he do? He becomes a curse for us. Is that not amazing? Jesus dies on the cross for our rebellion, for our lawlessness, and our thanklessness, and our glory grabbing, and our ugly entitlements that takes and takes without ever acknowledging God as the giver of every good and perfect gift. Jesus becomes the curse so that we might have the blessing of God on us. But in this, God has not changed. God is still unfiltered, and God still unashamedly tells us the truth, and this is the truth according to Acts chapter 4. This Jesus is the stone that you reje- was rejected by you the builders which has become the cornerstone and there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved <laughs> no other name there's the truth run hide look here look there dabble with this dabble with that You will not find life, you will not find blessing apart from faith in Jesus Christ. And that's the unfiltered truth. Without spin, without polling people to see how they might feel about such a claim, it just is. There is no escaping, that there is no life. There's no full, abundant life outside of faith in Christ. And so both the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter write this. They quote Isaiah chapter 8. Peter, when he writes that Jesus is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Paul, when he writes in Romans chapter 9, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone as it is written, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense the truth is always going to offend people. The truth is always going to offend people, and Jesus is the truth. So he's always going to bring offense. But if God did not tell us the truth, that Jesus and faith in Christ is the only way, we would have no hope, and our eternal end would be death and separation from God forever. So on weighing the alternatives it's far better to be offended than to experience eternity without the god of love and light God loves us enough to tell us the truth and so now each of us here decide what will we do with that unfiltered truth And we have to ask ourselves this do we love others enough to tell them the truth about Jesus unfiltered. Let's pray. I thank you again for your word. For knowing us so well. For communicating your truth with us in a way that you know will get our attention. And once you've gotten our attention Lord you can speak into our lives and and tell us the way to life. And tell us the way to you. So we thank you that you love us enough to tell us the truth in this way. So I pray that we'll be people who listen to your truth and live by your truth. People who know that there are consequences for living outside of obedience to your word, it comes with consequences. Lord, there are also blessings that come with obedience to you, to to spending time in your word and to, to coming before you in prayer and having that intimate relationship with you. There is blessing for our life in that way. And so pray that the truth that you have spoken to us will cause us to be that kind of people who are dependent upon you. Lord, I pray that your truth will remind us that you, you are the source of all truth. Pray that you will help us love people enough to speak your truth more than we fear our culture and the consequences of making such claims in this day and age of the way, one way, the Christ way. But it's true, Lord, so I pray that you would be, make us bold people to proclaim your truth. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.